0: Hello, kind of Christian family. Are you out staying too blessed to be stressed? Great. So, before we start the show, I want to tell you about our new partner. Now, before you hit that fast forward button, uh, uh, don't do it. Listen to this Does your Bible suffer from really small letters? Do you sometimes struggle to stay engaged with it? Do you feel guilt with everything I'm saying right now? Don't. Think about it 2,000 years ago, you didn't have a Bible. You'd be sitting in the temple and someone would be teaching you this and you'd be enraptured. The Dwell app lets you pick from a variety of amazing voices to read you scripture with amazing background music. Honestly, it really does make the Bible a lot more immersive. Now, unfortunately, in disclaimer, they don't actually have Jesus's real voice, but the British ones are pretty good. So go try it out for free today and get 30% off when you subscribe. Go to dwellapp.io forward slash kind of Christian. That's dwellapp.io forward slash kind of Christian. And get 30% off. Go there now. Might make a great gift for a fellow Kinda Christianer. Just saying. (laughs) Well, hello, Kinda Christians. I know some of you are not just Kinda. Some of you are full on. Some of you aren't at all. But Kinda is representative of everybody. So I am very excited. We have our first repeat guest on the show. Some of you may remember that our very, very first Kind of Christian episode was filmed at the residence of Dr. J.P. Moreland, one of my absolute favorites. In fact... You know, I would say it's that I had so much fun, but the reality is he just had such a blast, and I wanted to just honor him by letting him come back because I think he would he would say it was probably one of the pinnacles of his life and career. But he is a professor uh, of philosophy at Talbot Seminary Biola. He is uh, a brilliant thinker. He is a author of multiple books, and we're going to talk about one today, which is going to blow your mind. But even more important, he got educated at the University of Southern California. And for that, great honor is due. Dr. Mohan, thank you for joining us today. (laughs) Well, Ryan, it's such a privilege to be with you and feel free to call me JP if you'd like to. Normally, when you go to the University of Southern California, it's the Honorable JP Moreland. Uh, You're the man. You are the man. Thank you. I've thought so for a while here. And and folks, before we get into, please go try our coffee. You are going to love it. It supports the show, the Hostel Pentecostal, the Frozen Chosen, the DTR blend, the Charismaniac. Our coffees are flavorful, amazing, gourmet, and they are exactly the quality you get on the show. You decide what that is. So without further ado, we are going to dive in. JP has got a new book out and... It's going to blow your mind. So right away, I'm gonna tell you, go pick it up. There are some stories in there that are just mind-bending. JP, tell us about this book, what led you to write this, and how do you keep writing so many books? Are you disciplined or do you just not sleep? Well,
1: I I don't go to the bathroom. I dealt with that a long time ago. I don't have to uh, breathe. And so I just, all I do is write. That's literally all I do. So, (laughs) well, with, with this book, my own view is that maturing as a Christian and drawing close to God involves three central components. Fostering the life of the mind, developing through practices of discipleship, a tender heart and a mature character. And then finally the experience of the kingdom's power through signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, that was the way that the church grew believers and pushed into the culture for the first four centuries, including up to and a little past the time of Augustine. But what's missing in our culture is uh, appropriate and wise, balanced emphasis on on learning how to experience the miraculous more frequently. We associate it with goofiness and with a branch of the church that, 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 you know, is a little bit out there, perhaps, or is anti-intellectual, whatever you want to say. But my book is an attempt to say to people, wait a minute, you don't have to be that. You can be thoughtful and intelligent, but you can enter in to a life of seeing more of, of five different kinds of miracles uh, on behalf of your life and, and the expansion of the kingdom. So I wanted to encourage uh, my brothers and sisters to strengthen their faith. I mean, Ryan, you've read this, and you know that some of these accounts— there just has to be a God. I mean, and, and it has to be the Christian God, because that's who people are praying to. And it's just hard for an atheist to dismiss these. I mean, they're just almost inexplicable without, you know, biblical Christianity. And so I want to strengthen people and equip them.
0: Absolutely. So let's give the folks a little teaser here, because I obviously a lot of listeners to the show, too, are questioning and I so appreciate there's a lot of difficult things about God that we are uh, far beyond the pay grades of JP and I to figure out today. But let's give a little teaser. You've got a remarkable anointing over your family to secure items that you need in in a relatively expedient way. Could you give us a little teaser about, say, a pool table and a pool? I guess any item with the word pool in it, you apparently have a, a great direct line with the big man upstairs.
1: Well, these are just literal miracles in terms of answer prayer. And they may seem small to, the, to our listeners, but they were really big to my kids. And to this day, now they're in their early 40s. Remember these answers to prayer and others. And they are convinced that God answers prayer. And I mean, he, a lot of times he doesn't, but you know what I'm saying. Here. Oh, we'll so get into that. Was, we'll get
0: into the ratio so later. The <laughs>
1: table was this. Uh, when my kids hit right around middle school. Obviously, they were starting to take notice of boys and and my wife and I wanted them to hang out at our place. So we had an old kind of beat up garage and we transformed it into kind of a rec room. But on my salary, I could not afford anything other than just a little foosball table out there. My daughters wanted a pool table. And I told them, I said, we can't afford a pool table. I wish I could provide it, but I can't. And one of the girls said, well, let's ask Jesus for this. And so as a family, my wife and two daughters and I held hands and we said, Lord Jesus, we would like to have a really, really nice pool table, the kind that's in a pool hall that we first class so that their friends and guys from the youth group would want to come over here and hang out and play pool. And we could uh, keep an eye on them, to be honest. And so we submit this to you and just ask you to do it. Less than two weeks later, I went to my daughter Allison's soccer game, and there were, I don't know, 14 girls on the team. And so there were probably 25 parents or so. And we're watching the game. And one of the parents that I said hi to a few times, but I really didn't know him, walks up to me, introduces himself, and says, Listen, could you use a pool table? And I just about Wet my pants. I said, "What? What are you talking about?" And he said, "Well, I've I've been renting this house to a bunch of a bunch of guys, and they didn't pay their rent for the last three or four months. And I told them they had to get out of there. Well, they just up and left, and I'm left holding the bag. and And they left this pool table down in the basement, and I don't want it. I want to get rid of it." I said, well, why did you come to me and ask me this? And he said, I don't know. I just saw you over there. And it just dawned on me, maybe that gentleman could use a pool. And I told him I was a believer, and I'd been praying for this. And he said, oh, my gosh, I'm a Christian, too. And he said, I can bring it to your house this afternoon. Well, he got a bunch of the dads on the on the team. He had a truck. He He put that thing in the truck, and that afternoon, they loaded it in our rec room, and it was a pool table exactly like those high-quality ones you use in a pool hall. And the girls, my daughters and my wife and I, were just, we were on our knees shocked. And every time we saw that thing, it reminded us of the reality of God. So that was one answer to prayer. Another one happened about a summer or two later this one was in the spring of the year but then about 18 months later and the the girls were saying we had a terrible backyard to be honest with you it was small and we had this hill that i didn't water because we didn't have a water system and i couldn't afford one and so the girls said dad would you please get us a a swimming pool and 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 i said no girls I want to with all of my heart, because I know what a gathering place that would be for you and your friends. I want to, but I just can't do it. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll think about it and pray about it for a few days. And so I began to say to the Lord, because I'm not a very good fix-it man. Ryan. I'm easy to take advantage of when some guy comes into the house and work, fixes something and says, oh, I discovered this and it's 300 more. I'm not good in that area. And so I could have easily been taken advantage of. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm scared about this, to be honest. I believe that it would be a good thing for my family to have a swimming pools, especially for my daughters. But, you know, I can't afford this. And I'm afraid that I'll be taken advantage of. And I just, I don't know what to do. If you have a view on this, would you guide me and and give me directions? So that was Thursday or Friday. Well, uh, the next Monday I went into my office. It was August. Nobody was on campus, but I went there once a week to check my mail and I'm in my office. Nobody's around and I get a knock on my office door. And a gentleman comes in named Glenn Kudzilo. Now, Glenn had been a philosophy major in the undergraduate world, but he was an undergrad in his early 30s. And after he graduated with a degree in philosophy, he moved back to Tennessee. And he called me uh, a few months earlier than this and said he was going to come back and do our MA program in philosophy. So he knocks on the door. And I said, Glenn, dude, how you doing, man? And he said, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing well. He said, I'm back. I'm I'm excited to get going. I'm looking for a place to live. Uh, How are you, JP? And I I don't know why I said this. I said, you know, I've been doing really well, but I got to tell you, I've been wrestling with this crazy decision about a swimming pool. And I told him my story and he said, well, why don't you let me build it for you? I said, what do you mean? He said, Don't you know what I did when I was here as an undergrad? I said, I have no idea what you did. He said, JP, I build and, and design pools for millionaires' houses. In fact, I am now overseeing a whole new housing addition and about 50 pools that are going to be put in there. And he said, If you will let me design this, I can get it for at least no higher than half price, maybe lower, because I can tell these contractors: look, if you'll give this guy a massive discount, you get fifty pools, and they're, they're going to. That's a no-brainer for them. Well, what happened was he designed us a pool with a waterfall, with a a spa, with a stream running. It's absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous, and he oversaw the whole thing, and we got it for less than half price, which we couldn't afford full price. And my daughters, again, my whole family, what do you do when that happens? You just get down and you cry out to God, we're not worthy of this, Lord. This is your mercy. Thank you. So those are two specific answers to prayer that transform my daughters and, gosh, my own life. I mean, they were very encouraging.
0: Now, lest, <clears throat> lest our listeners think that the only prayers and testimonies we'll be discussing, come across as little first world. Where's my backyard oasis, Lord? One, these prayers are significant, obviously, to the family, but just, I won't make him tell you another one for the book yet, because I want you to go get the book. There are so many incredible stories, but there are miracles about financial provision in there. There is a testimony in there, JP, where you mentioned a couple of students who are in graduate school and they are behind on tuition. And they discovered an amount of money that came to them as a result of prayer that was to the decimal, the exact number. I think it was something like uh two thousand five hundred and eleven dollars and seven cents. Like you have seen miracles like that where we're not talking even around the number. We're talking to the decimal yeah. exact amounts.
1: Yeah, that exact situation happened in my dear friend and colleague's class, Klaus Isler. Professor Isler, before teaching, he would have a time to pray for any student that had a need, and they would pray. And this young man said, I am I am dying inside because I felt confident God led me to seminary, but I am not able to keep up with my bills. And I have a tuition payment due next Friday, and it it's $2,173.29 or whatever it was. It's in the book, but I just I would like for God to provide that exact amount because if he would do that, not only would it allow me to stay in school, but it would assure me that he really did call me here. And my wife and I have started having some questions because we struggle financially. So Klaus and the entire class prayed about this for this guy. So there were at least 15 people. To make a long story short, the next week, His wife was at uh, her grandmother's house cleaning out this study that they had. It was really bad. And she was getting rid of papers and stuff. And she found under a stack of papers, a, a, a little envelope with addressed to her sitting in there. And she opened the thing up and it was a check made out to her for, I don't know, something like uh, eighteen hundred dollars or something. And it was just incredibly exciting. And she told her husband about it. It wasn't what they needed, and it wasn't the exact amount, but gosh, it was at least something. But when she took it to the bank to cash it in, the amount plus the interest it had gained over that time came to the penny. The exact amount that the class had been praying for this couple, and not only did it blow their minds, but they stayed in seminary and finished because of that prayer. Now they're in the pastorate and and doing well, and it was because they knew God wanted them
0: there through that Those those stories just boggle my mind. So one of the first things I wanted to ask you about all this, JP, is that you've been very open. You have had some incredible prayers answered. You've also had some enormous physical uh, and mental struggles. The last 10 years have been tough. And I'm curious, since you've been open about this, how do you reconcile the specificity and miraculous answers to these prayers and then your own struggles yes. with everything from cancer and anxiety. Yes. Uh, and you go, Lord, you gave me a pool table. You gave me um, right. an oasis backyard. And yet here I am, because right. I imagine you were interceding like crazy during those oh, times. So I was. what are some thoughts about right. people right. hear that and go, well, how do I make sense of that?
1: Right. That's a great question. As a background in the book, I have carefully vetted And I base my reputation on the credibility of the stories I share because I went into detail and researching them, interviewing several people that were a part of it, called them on the phone talked. Anyway, so I vouch for these because they've been very carefully vetted and I wouldn't put something in there that I wasn't confident happened. There are about 50 accounts. I I list five different kinds of supernatural events that are happening today all over the world, including all over this country. And the vast majority of the ones I share are extremely dramatic and have tremendous significance besides the ones that I've mentioned today, except for perhaps that seminary student. But people ask me, what's your main problem with Christianity? And my answer is, too often it seems like God is a no-show when it looks like it would be in his interest to do something. But he doesn't. He doesn't show up. For for me, I'm at a point long ago where I don't have doubts about the faith anymore. And if people listening do us, that's no problem. You, we are who we are, but I, that's just where I'm at. But that doesn't cause me to doubt that the, that the Christian God is real. It causes me to kind of lose a little bit of my fervor for praying for things. So in the book, I list 14 reasons why God doesn't heal or, or God doesn't answer a prayer and uh, I, and that I also list eight specific steps you can take to grow in your faith and expectation of divine intervention on your behalf and I think they're very helpful but I do answer this question how come god doesn't do this or that and so it would be hard for me to go over all these 14 What I would recommend someone to do is if they get the book and they're not seeing an answer to prayer, then you just go to that section and see if any or several apply to you. And and maybe one does or none or four or five. And that might help people deal with this problem of of unanswered prayer or a lack of intervention on God's
0: behalf. Also, I realize we may not have actually stated the title of the book, which is A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. When you search that while you're listening to that, pull that up and you can check it out. JP, so when you were, and I appreciate that. So you've seen enough now to go, Okay, I know something's going on. I don't know why. I've just had a long surrender that, which to be fair to God, it is listed in uh, Proverbs, not just Proverbs, many places that you are. You are going to have questions and don't lean on uh, your own understanding. And I appreciate you point out that a third of the Psalms are laments. Yes. And so clearly people are struggling for a long time with this. But when you were personally just going through some of those real dark valleys, is it just, uh, hey, God, help me understand? Or was there frustration that built or had you seen yes. enough to go, OK, I, I, I was very
1: frustrated uh, because the suffering was so intense and I, I couldn't get away from it. I, I, I couldn't get out of my skin. I had a series of uh, panic attacks daily for seven months. And 10 years later, I, it happened to me daily for five months. I, I learned some tools to help me and I, I haven't been there since. But I, I was frustrated. I was frightened. I was really angry at God because he just didn't, he seemed so distant and disinterested. And I I cried, I, I yelled at him, I I cried out to him. I I tried to reason with him, just like the Lament Psalms did. And I was brutally honest. Now, I eventually came to my senses and and realized that God really did love me. But for a while there, I thought, I'm not so sure about this love you're supposed to have. It was largely emotional because I was falling apart inside. And so it was a very, very hard time. Thank God that motivated me to do a massive amount of research in anxiety and depression and boil it down into a book I wrote called Finding Quiet that has actually provided a set of ideas that have helped me immensely in moving past anxiety and depression. So at least that came out of it, but it's tough and there's no simple answer to these. Can I yeah. say one other thing? You can say whatever um, you want. Uh, what, what What is helpful to me is remembering all the times when I know God acted. And by the way, one way, and, and we should get into how you can recognize a miracle, but one way you can uh, know that God is acting is not just to look at your own life, but to regularly ask people in, in your church or your Christian circles, have you ever seen God do something miraculous for you? Or have you ever been aware of an angel or a demon? Tell me about that. You can decide whether you think their story's credible, but There's a lot more going on in our churches of this sort than we're aware of, but people don't share talk about it because they don't want to appear goofy or weird. And I've taken polls, and I'll tell you, there's 80% of the people who've had something like this at least once. Everybody was shocked because nobody talks about it. And if you can build up enough solid information by reading books like the one I've got in the back in the bibliography, I list some just great books that my wife and I read about credible accounts of people experiencing all five different kinds of supernatural events. That will give you a, a stable foundation within which to evaluate your disappointment with a lack of answer to prayer. It's a kind of like a support. When you fall down into the abyss, there's still some... some Ropes hanging on
0: to you. Absolutely. Well, you <clears throat> prophetically will say knew what my next question was going to be. You have, uh, for lack of a better term, a a formula and a framework because I'm absolutely fascinated with this because there are yes. things that totally have plausible naturalistic explanations, and I often wonder too if there is a God. Does He like to leave a little plausible deniability to give you the option to wonder? Because I and I also I'm curious if you think that. Are there some miracles that if they happen, they would fry your brain? Like if I saw the seas part, would I like ever go back to normal after that?
1: That's a good question. And some of the miracles in the book are quite frankly of that sort. I'll never forget when I was at Dallas Seminary, which is a cessation of school and is not particularly big on uh, miracles. A missionary from deep in the jungle of the jungles of Africa was speaking. Nobody ever talked about miracles at Dallas Seminary. And he said that he had contacted this very remote tribe of of Africans that were practically Stone Age, and they had helped him build a church, a a kind of a church building, but there was no roof on it, and it was very vulnerable to, to harsh rain and so on. Well, unfortunately, he said... It was monsoon season. And he said to us, I kid you, ladies and gentlemen, not. I looked across the valley because we were up on a kind of a side of a mountain and there was a monsoon approaching and you could see a wall of rain. And it was, it was, it was like raining 10 inches in two hours. I mean, it was just a wall of rain coming toward us. And if it hit our church, it would have destroyed it. And so I stood up in front of all the villagers and I said, God, Jesus of Nazareth, I command this storm to stay away from our church and for our church to be protected. God, protect this church. And he said, when this wall came close to the church, it parted and it rained monsoon around the church. And the wall came back together when it passed the church, but there was a place inside that was completely dry. This guy had given his life years of service over there. He wasn't looking yeah. for attention. So a lot of the miracles in this book are of that type. But here's how you can tell the difference. And it's important because a lot of people see something that God did. And then the next day or so, they say that could have been coincidence, There probably is a good naturalistic explanation for that, and it robs them of the boost in faith that is rightly theirs because it really was a miracle. In the world, there are two kinds of causes that produce effects. There are purely natural causes, like a flash of lightning will cause the effect of splitting a tree. That's a purely natural cause. Or my wife Freely deciding to set the dinner table in a certain way. And so she caused that. It wasn't a law of nature or anything like that. The principle I use in the book to discern miracles is actually one that was derived in science. It's used by forensic scientists, it's used by archaeologists, it's used by linguists. In fact, just recently, Ryan, a publication came out in an anthropology journal where there had been a debate among anthropologists about this particular cave they had discovered, where they knew that Neanderthals had lived in that cave. And there was a formation that they were debating as to whether it was just an odd formation from natural processes or if it represented some kind of a sculpture painting by the neanderthals well they applied this principle i'm about to share to the case and, and was conclusively decided that it was done by the neanderthals it was caused intentionally by a person and not by a natural cause so the principle states that if some event or some fact that you're wondering about, if it meets two conditions, then you can know beyond any reasonable doubt that it was the product of an intelligent, free personal agent that did it on purpose. And there are almost no false positives, meaning it is almost no cases where it judges that this was produced by an intelligent person, and it wasn't. So that's the good news. And the first principle is that the event or situation has to be highly improbable. Now, that's a necessary condition, but it's not enough. It's not sufficient. And here's why. You and I are playing bridge, let's say, and we've got a $500 pot that whoever wins the game gets 500 bucks, And it's just you and I playing. I'm the dealer. And lo and behold, on the first deal, I deal myself a perfect bridge hand and win the $500. Did I do that on purpose and cheat? Or was it an accident? Well, first of all, it was highly improbable. But then your hand of the same number of cards was equally improbable. If someone had predicted that you'd get the exact hand you did before you got it, that would be kind of wild. So your hand is, is improbable as mine is, but yours doesn't raise suspicions. Mine does. Why? Because mine is not only improbable, but secondly, it is special besides the fact that it happened. There's nothing special about your hand apart from the fact that it's the one you got dealt. In fact, the only way to describe your hand is the hand that Ryan was dealt. That's it. But there's something special about my hand, apart from the fact that it was the one I happened to deal myself. And that is that according to an independent set of rules, any hand like that is a winner. So it's the combination of it being special plus highly improbable that indicates that I cheated. And this was not the result of an accident. It was intentional. In a handful of years ago, in the state of Ohio, there were eight districts that had elections for the state house of representatives. And there were like seven or eight parties in each district running. And the Democrats sued a Republican in court and won on the basis of this, what I call the intelligent agent principle. And here's what happened. On all the ballots in all eight districts, even though there were seven or eight parties, Green Party, Libertarian, on each ballot, the Republican candidate was listed first in all eight districts out of seven or eight options. Now that was extremely unlikely. But if any distribution of parties showed up on every one of those eight districts ballots, that would be unlikely too. But this was also special. Why? Because we know that the candidate that's listed first gets more votes than others just because the candidates first and the person who printed all the ballots was a Republican. And so they found that he cheated And that those ballots were the result not of some random serendipitous accident, but it was the result of a personal intelligent action done on purpose by that man. Now, you can apply that to prayer. Uh, If you pray for something specific and it's highly unlikely to happen and it does happen, then the combination of the improbability of that, like that guy's to the penny amount of money coming in. And the fact that that exact penny and dollar amount was special compared to if he got 500 bucks, let's say, it was special because it was exactly the one they'd been praying for. The combination of those two indicate that this result was done by a person. In this case, a really, really big and smart person. (laughs) The G word is relevant here. And it wasn't an accident. So that's how you can tell the difference, and it's not a religious principle, it is a scientific principle that can apply to answers to prayer and healings and and so on. That's
0: so interesting. One of the questions I, when you think about that is, is there relativity in what one would consider probable? I'm I'm always curious, how do you know what is, I mean, I guess numbers are objectively big or small, like that, you know, one in a million chance. But for example, we're talking about one in a million chance with you know, one person in one circumstance versus the universe. Compared to other things, it could be way more likely. So, are there examples where we think the probability is super low, but it actually is really high? Because I know that's one of the pushbacks I get. Like, well, I mean, come on, it is entirely possible if you got healed. Like, what are the odds that thing could have healed anyway, etc. So, I guess my question is more: Is the probability less important than the significant? Because I would think the significance and the uniqueness—that's where I get torn up where it seems like we in every other aspect of our lives, we would apply this like if I walk in and my house is just everything's on the ground and messed up, I'd go clearly someone has been here and messed this up, right? I wouldn't go, what are the odds? I'd go, oh, this seems obvious. So do you weight the two equally in this? Uh, What's
1: important is they're both present. That's what's important. And in the examples you're giving me, they're only highly improbable, but there was nothing independently special about them. So Mm -hmm. I would agree with you. I ran into at the airport in Houston, one of my old high school football buddies. I mean, my gosh, this happened while I was on a ministry trip. The odds of me running into him were astronomically small. Right. But there was no particular importance to it. I mean, we had a nice little chat and he got on his plane. So while that was unlikely, I didn't think that it was a divine appointment or anything like that because there was no particular specialness about it.
0: That's what I was getting at is the probability, is it like if you see something where the probability is insanely like low and it right. happens, is that enough to go? Is that no, enough to pause and go? It, No, okay. it's not because it could, okay. could be
1: an accident. It's got to have something that makes it religiously or morally significant in some way. It had to be a, a, a need that you had been having and nothing was meeting it. And all of a sudden this this improbable thing comes out of the blue and- it addresses your problem, and you've been kind of lifting this up to God. That's different, and that's why this principle works in science. But without the special specialist cr- criterion, it, it, it's not workable.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You uh, you mentioned in the book that your ratio in belief that God answers prayer has substantially improved over the years, and that at one point it was close to sixty forty. Right. Uh, and that now it's cruising at around 85, 15. What do you mean by that?
1: That's a hard, uh, as a philosopher, <laughs> you know, I'm only like 98 or 95, 5 that there is an external physical world, you know, I mean, so I'm 100% <laughs> you sure even know if you're here. here right now. <laughs> well, I, I am 100% sure I exist. What people need to realize is that degree, The uh, beliefs are degreed, like skies being cloudy. You can't say either the sky's cloudy or not. That's true, but that's not enough because if the sky is cloudy, it could be cloudy 10%, 60%, or 100% cloudy. So cloudiness comes in degrees and so does our strength of belief. If you believe something, you're just over 50-50. You're from 51 to 100%. If you believe something 55-45, you believe it, but it's pretty weak, and so my belief in prayer was, I did believe in it, but I wasn't particularly strong in my belief. So I wasn't an unbeliever in prayer, but I was pretty weak. But after I have seen so many things, and like I say in the book, I've done the other things I suggest, I have actually practiced those eight principles myself, and I've talked to a ton of people, and I just heard so many answers to prayer. There's one in there, a missionary couple that was dying to get a house. And these poor people had no money, and they've been on the field working among impoverished peoples for decades. You tell me that if that's not an absolutely crazy answer to prayer. When I hear things like that, that has bumped up my Confidence that God answers prayer, even if I if I just took my own case, maybe it'd go it would have gone from sixty to seventy, but not up to eighty five where I'm really confident. I mean that's getting yeah. up there. So that's what I'm trying to get at. And by the way, the five kinds of supernatural events are first of all specific answers to prayer. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, miraculous healings. Third would be uh, five or six ways that God speaks to us outside, but under the authority of the Bible, like dreams and, and visions or a word of knowledge or something of that sort. Four, angelic or demonic manifestations, which are supernatural. And five, carefully vetted near death experiences. So those are the five. And what I do is I make a case for them. I give practical application about how to grow in this and come to enter into it more. And then I share a ton of really what I think are just edifying stories that's just strengthen yeah. people.
0: And I so appreciate you profiling these stories because one, I think life is boring without a little wonder to it. You got to have something a little odd. And and it's funny. I I love that you recommend that because I I did this a couple of years ago when I was going through a tough time and it's in actually one of the shows I host. uh, we ask everyone to tell us like a spooky kind of twilight zone story. Yeah. And just, and almost every single person has something where they're like, one guy was taking a photo of people at the magic castle and, 200 photos and one of the photos, the guy's just not in the photo. Like it just disappeared. And you're like, that we asked, like how, do, how could that even happen? Like what is going on? It's also the magic castle, which you're like, okay, that's, that it brings was, up yeah, another question. You <laughs> and you ask about like one of our guests had a, his mom woke up in the middle of the night and just said, I need to go downstairs and check the basement door. No reason why, no reason to, whatever. Got up and just as she was downstairs to reach and just check the lock, she saw a shadow of a hand go up to the handle and when she held it, he thought it was locked and walked away. Oh my and, gosh. And we ask, and, and and as I ask people to relay these stories, it's amazing how we dismiss a lot. we just like, oh yeah, that that was weird. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while. And I'm always amazed because I always tell myself, if I saw this, I would never forget. It would just well, change everything. And the whole of human existence seems to be that not true, that I would forget. I mean, there's stuff that you're making me think about that happened years ago that I go, how did I forget that?
1: I know, but I think, I, frankly, I think you're right. I, I mean, this what this has done to me is I, I, mean, I now am totally convinced the world is a lot bigger than what we think it is and what we, <laughs> within the bounds of our senses. And a lot of these quote unquote stories, I'm convinced they're true. That one about the, uh, that lady grabbing that door handle. I'm, I'm telling, unless she's just some kind of a sleazebag woman, that just rings true to me. I mean, I, that fits a whole bunch of other accounts that I've
0: heard from people. Oh, yeah. One thing I want to ask you, too, is we look for the dramatic. We look for these crazy answers to prayer. And we know, though, from Scripture or anything else that those things don't last. Like Gideon, if I saw the kind of stuff Gideon saw, yes. I like to tell myself, I would finish strong. And he does not finish strong. He finishes worshiping the wrong God and doing some stuff he shouldn't be doing. I've heard lots of stories about people who were obedient. So in the case of the woman touching the door, it seemed very obvious. Oh, I was going to stop that guy. But in your experience, are there answers to prayer or something where people don't get the understanding or why until way, way, way later? Or in fact, sometimes, because that's one of the frustrating things that I think in our heads, we think if I'm obedient, I'm going to get the clear resolution. But there may be things where you do it And you just don't know why. And one day you'll find out.
1: Yes. Let me make a statement. I I am the kind of theist that does believe in coincidences or accidents. A lot of people say there are no such things. Well, I just don't buy that. I think that the world is one in which there are things that happen by coincidence or by accident, if you want to put it that way. Now, God knew that it was going to happen, but he didn't bring it about. It was just a chain of events that Occurred accidentally. I am not the kind of person who believes that there's a reason for everything. However, I do believe that the things that are more significant that take place, probably all or most do have a reason, because I think God would watch over those more than he would things that are not as important, Mm-hmm. If you grant that I'm right about that, then uh, you can go decades f- being completely befuddled about w- why that happened and whether it was just an accident or God did it. Maybe the pla- uh, uh, that there's a certain time that we come to, to recognize it, that we're ready for it, and it would do the greatest good for us at that time, but earlier we might have dismissed it or might not have been all that staying but I'm with you I think that uh, one of the things about the book that my my wife and I have applied is that we do forget and that's why we make it a regular part of our lives at least on a yearly basis to read a book together of this sort that we judge to be credible and solid and like I said in the in the bibliography, I list books of all five kinds of miracles that I would trust a person to read. What that has done for us, Ryan, is it has kept our minds in the other side, in the supernatural world. It, it has just kept us aware that there's a lot going on and this is a supernatural reality here. The natural drag is to just get preoccupied with what's right in front of you. And that's one of the benefits of getting in the Word is that it reminds you that there's this other project going on. So that's yeah. helpful to me.
0: I know we're uh, running, as the Apostle Paul says, the time is short. If we we're near <laughs> now the end than we were when we started. Uh, how's that Christian joke? I'll that's like that's that. That good. good. Thank you. Thank you. I, I want to ask you this too, because recently I had a friend who was praying about finances. I would argue that probably occupies 75% of people's, people's prayers. We'll get into whether we're praying for the wrong things on another, because I, I imagine that the low prayer answer ratio, perceived low answer prayer ratio is probably more so due to the human mind's ability to justify its wants and God knowing better than uh, you think you want that, but you don't. Um, So if God exists outside of time and this may be, a can of worms, so there's maybe turtles all the way down here. But <laughs> if God exists outside of time, is it possible that this individual was praying for finances and had a very dramatic prayer event one evening, and then the next day discovered that someone had passed away who had passed away weeks ago and they knew about it had left them an inheritance that was going to come into being and actually dramatically change the, the ministry? And so they called and they said, uh, Hey, well, this, this is a miracle. Thank you for praying. This is an answer to prayer. And in my mind, I thought, well, this person had already made this decision a long time ago. And they said, no, well, God exists outside of time and the prayers exist outside of time as well. And so actually your prayer could somehow theoretically be involved in that. Is that... Is that well, rational or logical? Uh, that's no, it's some not, grade.
1: no, it's not, but there is something else related to it that is, <laughs> because okay. I don't think God is outside of time. I think he existed outside of time without a universe, but I personally think that he stepped in time. But but the solution doesn't have to do with that. By the way, I don't even know what it means to say prayers are timeless. What does that mean? I know that I prayed on a certain date and it took me five minutes. What the heck does it mean? My head starts exploding with statements like that. But but (laughs) what I would say would be that God in his foreknowledge, knowing that you are going to pray for something, that is what moves him to respond five months earlier by setting right. up events that will happen at the time you pray. So he didn't answer the prayer after you prayed. He answered it because you prayed. If you had not prayed for that, he would not have set in motion things that would lead up to that getting answered. And the Helen Roosevelt story in the book is just a perfect example of me addressing that question.
0: Yeah. yeah, folks, you want to hear that story because this is a crazy, is so great, great coincidence. You decide of <laughs> someone has a specific yeah. need, but this package was mailed five months in advance with that. So the solution to that is God knew you would pray. And yeah. in yeah. response to that had already set things in motion. And he responded because you prayed. So as we wrap up here, JP, what is the patented three-part formula to experience an 80% increase in the miraculous in your life? I say that tongue in cheek, but I know that there actually are, obviously God is sovereign and is going to do what he's going to do. Correct me if I'm off here, but there are behaviors and things and mindsets that we can cultivate to expect and try and and make room for uh, these sort of things in our own lives. And so what would those be?
1: Well, like I said in chapter one of the book, I list eight of them. But the central idea is exposure. You need to expose yourself to credible things. So, for example, I subscribe to the Jesus Film Newsletter, and I give them a little bit. But that thing, every other week it comes out, and it reads like Acts chapter 29, because wow. these people in these film crews are seeing things happen that are shocking, and these guys they're not lying about this. I don't want to go into it, but when you read that, you just walk away saying, "God, have mercy on me. I want to trust you more." So you want to keep your head in the game on those things and ask people what they've seen. And there are other suggestions uh about that. But there are steps that you can take. There's not a formula You don't manipulate God, but look, there are maturing steps that you can take that help you mature in this area. That's all I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, tied with that, there's a common perception. And actually, I asked another guest on the show who works with Iris Global, and he pushed back and he said, I do think miracles happen in the States as much as they do anywhere else. But there is a sort of accepted belief, whether erroneous or not, that it's the developing world that sees monsoons part and dead rays, et cetera, if that were to have some degree of truth, would you attribute that to a mindset in Western culture that we just don't make room for this? I
1: would just say that it's because we've been naturalized. We we accept naturalism. We're <clears throat> embarrassed by the miraculous, whereas people in other parts of the world, they they are power cultures. They're not propositional cultures. And they want to know what power your God has and the propositional statements about we're propositional oriented. And it's both and it should be a both and. But so, yeah, I would say that. And I'd say, secondly, a lot of times in those other parts of the world, they need these things more than we do because they don't have medicine or what have you. I do think that far more happening in this country, far more than people are aware of because we stay silent about them.
0: Absolutely. And. To wrap up, do you want to say Lily Tomlin's quote or do you want me to? I love that you uh, yeah. include that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it when we talk to God, it's called praying. But when we claim to hear from God, we're called schizophrenic. So uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I love you that love you that feature that, that. Oh, she's, she's a treasure. She um, was. Is there uh, anything else you want to uh, make sure to mention? JP well, for I, I,
1: I want to encourage people that. That if you expose yourself to some of these ideas, either in my book or other books that you judge to be written by credible people, it's going to be a part of uplifting your growth and your maturity, along with the life of the mind and the daily practices of discipleship and scripture memory and so on. It's not standalone, but it does supplement the other other two things for transforming us to be different.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Well, folks, this has been... A wonderful conversation with JP Moore. We're just going to have to have him on a third time. Obviously, good things happen in three, as the Bible teaches us. But, you know, it's the holiday season. And for that reader in your life who needs to experience the miraculous and something to read on the beach when you get out of your freezing temperatures and head south, may I recommend you look no further than a simple guide to experiencing the miraculous... I uh, Y'all know I've hosted this show for a long time, and I come at this from a very skeptical standpoint. And these stories, you are faced with a choice of whether like these are either JP is crazy, <laughs> the people in the store are crazy, or all of them are, or none. And it's <laughs> it's just remarkable. So enjoy the book. It's called A Simple Guide to Experiencing the Miraculous by JP Moreland. Please go check it out. Go on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. JP, thank you so much for, for joining us. Oh, it's always a treasure. Time. Always a treasure. Are you going to... Are you going to head back to your Oasis pool now?
1: You know, I thought I'd go dip in a little bit and uh, have a margarita (laughs) or something like that.
0: (laughs) We will, we will get into JP's other uh, passion too, which is the debate around whether Jesus would permit alcohol or not. That is a fun conversation. And Oh, doctor. So I'll (laughs) leave you that with a cliffhanger. Uh, So thanks for joining us folks. It's been kind (laughs) of Christian. Please check out our sponsor, the dwell app where you can have the Bible read aloud to you by amazing voices, not mine. Or Jesus', but some amazing voices. So please check it out. Dwellapp.io/slash kinda Christian, and we will see you for our next wonderful interview. JP, God bless you, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I just wanted to announce to all of you that we have a brand new line of exquisite, life-changing, divinely inspired, very irreverent coffees. Of course, I'm speaking about kinda Christian coffee. Choose from incredible blends like the Frozen Chosen, the Hostile Pentecostal, the Charismaniac, or for that special someone you need to have one with, the DTR Roast. Define your relationship with great coffee today. The coffee's amazing. It's not the cheapest coffee in the world, but you know why? Because it's the best coffee. It's so good. We have beans from Guatemala and Mexico and Ethiopia, and it's awesome, and it supports the show. So get a bag. I mean, what else are you gonna do? You need a good beverage while listening to me. I've been told that my voice can help put people to sleep and you shouldn't operate heavy machinery while listening to me. So ensure against your own demise by ordering a bag of kind of Christian coffee today. So head on over. It's in the show notes. Go visit our store. Buy some of that coffee. Thanks so much.
1: You're really good at this. So you just... You you ask pointed questions, you're conversational, you throw in what you're thinking. It's kind of like we just had a conversation about it, which I just love that.
0: You know, it's it's work. It's and you got to prep. Although with your book, it was really I've spent all morning reading about miracles. And then I got all these phone calls and I didn't get a chance to get to my prayer time, which is more offensive now that I just read your book. And I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) I cannot miss out on prayer after that.